This morning we're sticking in the book of Isaiah. Because at this time of the year, uh, there's often quotes and references out of Isaiah. I want to read four scriptures from the prophet Isaiah. Some of them you will probably recognize as very common. But the first one, not so common. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 18. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 18. Here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And you're going to think, what on earth has that verse got to do with the Christmas theme? I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. Chapter 11, verse number 6, you'll recognize this. But you might say, what has this one got to do with the Christmas season? Chapter 11 and verse 6, the end of the verse says, A little child will lead them. A little child will lead them. And now for the more familiar verses, chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then chapter 9, starting at verse 6, you will also recognize this one. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. For quotes from the prophet Isaiah and all four of these verses we revolve around a very specific portion of history of the Old Testament and in the ministry of Isaiah in the giving forth of his prophetic words he used children a lot children play a key role in the message that he was going to give to King Ahaz. Some of us are familiar with some of these scriptures, but I don't think a whole lot of people are actually familiar with the context in which those particular prophecies that we love at Christmas time were given. And so I want to spend just a few minutes recreating the original context in which these verses were given so we can appreciate what they're going to mean to you and me today. As I have mentioned, there is a king, 
sitting on the throne of Judah, and his name is Ahaz. Ahaz was a weak king. He was an idolatrous king. He assumed the throne of Judah when he was only 20 years old. How many would say that's pretty young to become a king? He's only 20 years of age when he assumes the throne of Judah, and he assumes it at a very tumultuous time of history. Early into his rule, Ahaz has suffered defeat at the hands of the Edomites. Edom had revolted and led a successful invasion against Judah. If that wasn't enough problem, the Philistines managed to attack it and to steal some of his territory away, and they took it away from them. But the most difficult trial was not the Edomites, it was not the Philistines. But there was a mighty and a cruel empire that we would call the Assyrians. The Assyrians were on the march to dominate the whole world, and their goal was to dominate all the way down to Egypt. But in between where he was and where Egypt was, was Judah. There was also northern Israel. There was also another country called Syria. So don't get mixed up between Assyria and Syria. Two different nations there. Northern Israel and Syria were also threatened by this world-dominating power called Assyria. And they made a pact, northern Israel and Assyria, to join together to stand against the might of Assyria. But to do that, they said, we've got to protect our southern borders. And what they did is they led a campaign against Judah. Northern Israel, Syria, in order to protect themselves from Assyria, decided to attack Judah in order to build a defense for themselves in their southern area. So they attacked Judah, they ravaged it, they killed thousands, they took many, many captives. And the story of Jerusalem and the royal line of David seemed doomed. This is the situation that young King Ahaz entered in quickly into his rule. Along come the scenes with Isaiah, with all these prophetic words that we just read to you. Isaiah prophetically urged Ahaz, man, you need to trust the Lord. You need to get yourself right with God. You're an idolatrous king, and you need to trust the Lord. But the problem with Ahaz is he would have none of it. Ahaz had no love for God, no respect for God. He had no trust in God. And his choice, after Isaiah had delivered these words to him, the choice of Ahaz was, in order to defend myself against northern Israel and against Syria, I'm making the choice to not trust the Lord, but I'm going to trust Assyria itself. I'm going to come into alignment with Assyria and Assyria will deliver me from northern Israel and from Syria. To do that, he had to give presents of silver and gold to the king of Assyria. 
He plundered the temple to come up with the money. He plundered his own palace to come up with the money. And the king of Assyria was only too glad to receive it all and to receive the submission of Ahaz under his authority. And he was only too happy to invade northern Israel and Syria at Judah's expense, which he did. And he successfully defeated northern Israel and Syria. But the question is, at what price to Ahaz and at what price to Judah? Did you know all those Christmas verses that we like to quote are rooted in that history? That's the context in which we read these verses that we love to quote at Christmas time. Judah was made subject to the great empire of Assyria, continually paying tribute, emptying all the treasures from the temple. But there was more of a cost than just that, because the temple was refashioned after Assyrian gods and beliefs. The altar in which sacrifices were made was changed. The design of it was changed to heathen designs, destroying all the symbolic meaning that the Old Testament would give it. Did you know that the doors to the holy place and the doors to the holy of holies were closed shut and fast, symbolizing that Judah had abolished its ability to even enter into God's presence? And in the worship, the perverted heathen rituals were mixed in with their worship. And that's the situation that Isaiah is prophesying to. And that's the situation in which we hear these very common Christmas verses that we like to quote. Now here's the great question that Isaiah is going to repeatedly ask King Ahaz. How the nation has fallen under wicked kings, but now that Ahaz is the king of Judah, how the nation has fallen. Because God had called his people to be, and listen carefully, a servant nation. And through this servant nation, God would manifest himself to the world. That was God's goal for his people. I'm calling you to be a servant nation through whom I may express myself for the salvation of the rest of the world. This is the issue that was at stake. And the great theme of Isaiah in speaking to King Ahaz is, look, you've got to learn to trust God. You've got to learn to trust. And according to the teaching of Isaiah, in order to be the people of God, and in order to be his servant nation, so all the families of the earth could be blessed, God's people must learn that in every circumstance of life, in every situation, in every threat that comes your way, God's people must learn that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. If God's people cannot trust God, but instead will make the choice to depend upon other nations, then she has forfeited her message. She hasn't got a message to give to the nations. But if God's people 
could encounter a God, could know a God that is greater than all the nations that combined, and who can in every situation be depended upon, then she has a message to declare. Amen. If we can trust God in every situation, and this God is greater than all the combined powers of the world, and we can trust them, then we have a message to declare. But if we can't trust them, we have nothing to say. That's Isaiah's message. That's the summary of chapter after chapter after chapter of his, of his, of his preaching and his teaching. That's the summary of it. And so Ahaz, you have to, the question is, will God's people recognize that to depend upon the nations is to lose your message to the nations, but refusal to depend upon them is to become a blessing to them? That's what's at stake in the history of Ahaz. Now listen to this. Unless a person is convinced that God can be absolutely and completely trusted. If we can't be convinced of that, then we'll do everything else to boost our own security, but we lose becoming God's servant in the process. That's the issue that Ahaz is going to speak. Now, in order to get the message across, Isaiah is going to bring forward four children. To get his message across, four children. Now, I'm going to ask you, would you ever name your children any of these names? So, all of you expectant mothers, here's some suggestions for names. First name you could call, if it's a boy, call it Sheer Jashub. How many are going to go for that one? Sheer Jashub. Well, if you don't like that one, you might try this one a little better. Emmanuel. A little more. Now, here's a tongue twister. You re- repeat this after me, and I'll get you speaking in tongues. It is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. How would you like to name your son Meher Shalal Hashbaz? Any takers on that one? No. And the fourth child is the royal child of Isaiah chapter 9. And verse 6. I and the children you have given me are for signs and wonders. For Sheer Jashub, Emmanuel, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, and the royal child of chapter 9 and verse number 6. Now Ahaz is continually facing hostile and mighty nations who are going to ravage the known world. They're interested in taking over the whole world with destruction and force. How many know history never seems to change? Just released against this world. So what did Isaiah present to Ahaz as the answer to this threat? You know what he presents? Four children as the answer. Four Just like Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is like this little child. Isaiah would say the answer to this world threat is for children. These children are innocent. They tell us that right and justice are really the great issues, not military force, not trickery. 
Why does he use children? Why does the Lord ask Isaiah to use children to get the message across? Because there's a message here. Leaning on your own strength or the strength of others is really a weakness. And acknowledging your weakness is really God's strength. That's why he brings children. All what I want to say to you is wrapped up in this child. Why does he use a child? Why doesn't he use a mighty king? Why doesn't he use a mighty prince? Why doesn't he use a military general? No, your answer is this little child. Because if you are trusting in your own abilities and trying to get security in your own strength, that's really a weakness. But when you can acknowledge weakness on your part, you will find God's strength. Are we catching the point here? That's why we have the four children. Do we understand the wisdom of God? And so the introduction of four children is to teach this lesson that we must utterly trust God and everything God's going to say is wrapped up in these four children. Child number one. Sheer Jashub, which apparently none of you are going to name any children after. Sheer Jashub. Isaiah, in I believe it's chapter 7, was commanded to go meet King Ahaz. But he says, when you go, take your little boy with you. Take your son with you. And long ago, well, I don't know how long, because I don't know how old this Sheer Jashub was. But long before the command to take him to Ahaz, Isaiah had given his son a name. And it has a prophetic meaning, that name, because Isaiah probably, as a prophet of the Lord, had been witnessing a continuing deterioration of the nation, backsliding, going worse and worse and worse. But he had this conviction that in spite of everything that the nation was doing wrong, that God would be faithful to his covenant that he gave, and therefore prophetically named his son Shir Jashub which by interpretation means a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. So Isaiah, go and not so much declare a message to Ahaz, but show him your son. Sheer Jashub, a remnant shall return. Now Ahaz, when he heard this, had already suffered military defeat at the hands of northern Israel and Syria, and he was dreading total annihilation. And so to speak to this fear, Isaiah presents his son, ensuring him that God is faithful to his covenant, and no matter what's going on in the world, God will always have his people. Come on now. No matter what's going on, God will always have His people. From God's perspective, how many know when you're going through trials and challenges that are way over your head, it's best to exchange your fear of the situation for God's perspective of the situation. And how many know that God sees things from a very different angle? 
than we do. We look at from our perspective and what are we filled with? Fear, trepidation. But God is saying to King Ahaz through Shir Jashub, you need to see things from my perspective. From my perspective. You are fearing what's happening around the world. But northern Israel and Syria, all they are are smoking ends of a stick where a bonfire used to be. And that's exactly the words he uses. The fire is gone out, and just the smoking stick is all that remains. The glory of these nations is past. And when you and I face terrifying situations, we're to remember that though our strength and our understanding is limited, the one who is with us is limitless in his strength, and he is limitless in his understanding. Let us learn to see God's perspective. These nations did not successfully invade Judah because they were greater than Judah. They successfully invaded Judah because God allowed it to happen to wake the nation up from their backsliding and their sins. Don't need to fear these things. God is in control. And I've got good news for you. And Shir Jashub will tell us this. The outcome of our trials is never. And if you want to take notes, that's N-E-V-E-R. Is never, never, never in our enemy's hands. Never. The outcome of our trials and challenges is never in the hands of our enemies. It's always in the hands of God who controls all things, this God that we love and this God that we know. We might not always like the outcome He gives us, but we never have to dread it because He is faithful. He is faithful to us. So Isaiah says to Ahaz, if you would just get that perspective that God is controlling the situation, Every, he's in total authority. He's committed to his covenant. Then if you believe that, you will be truly established. But he also tells Ahaz, if you choose not to believe it, you will be living the rest of your life in a state of nerve-wracking panic. Now, how many prefer to live in confidence that God's in control, or would you rather live in panic the rest of your life? Silly question, isn't it? But this is the message of Sheer Jashub. Now, how is Ahaz going to respond to this? Is he going to act upon this, or is he going to deny it? So, Isaiah actually challenges Ahaz to seek evidence, to ask for a sign. Now, Isaiah just given him a sign with his son. This, this boy was named this way a long time ago, just for you, Ahaz. Now, he even challenges Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask for God to do a sign in the heavens. Ask for God to do a sign in the deep. God wants you to give you a sign to show to you that he can be trusted no matter what you see going on in the world, that he can be trusted. Well, Ahaz doesn't want evidence that God can be trusted because he's already made up his mind to not trust God. He's going to not have relationship with God. He's going to trust Assyria. 
he avoids the issue. Now, Assyria is no friend. So here's the question. Why would Ahaz hand himself over to his enemy? Why do we put our trust in things like this? And the answer is simple. Once a person abandons this heartfelt conviction that God really does care, suddenly decisions which are utterly foolish now seem to be wise. And for some reason it seems wise to trust your enemies. Why do we think like that? Because we've lost the conviction that God really cares about us. So we begin to trust the things that we fear. Ahaz has done very foolishly. He's made the choice to not have faith in God. He shuts God out, and in a sense, he is saying to God, I want a divorce. But listen to this. But God, in spite of Ahaz, will not forsake his promises. Now that's what we're shouting about. God will not forsake his covenant. So, child number two will now be introduced to the discussion. Emmanuel. But it's a picture, again, of helplessness. The answer is not in military power. The answer is in a child. So, if Ahaz is going to take up God on the offer to ask for a sign, God says, tell you what, I'll give you a sign anyway. And here's the sign. A virgin will conceive and bear his son. Not the father, but the mother will name the child. And the child's name will be Emmanuel, which simply means, and you should all know this, it means God with us. God with us. In the reign of Ahaz, a virgin. Now, was this an immaculate conception? I don't think so. But in the reign of Ahaz, a virgin would soon marry, bear a child, give the name Emmanuel, and before that child could be weaned, before that child could have a sense of conscience, Ahaz, that quickly, Judah will be free from the threat of northern Israel and from Syria. In a very quick, in a very short time, God would deliver Judah in spite of the behavior of King Ahaz. God is with us. In other words, the lesson of Emmanuel is this. That in spite of who we are and what we sometimes do, God is committed to His covenant with us. Come on. That's what we're shouting about. God is committed to His covenant with us. However, this is a bit of a double-edged sword too. Because God is with us, doesn't mean He just winks at everything we do. And because God is with us, then there will also be judgment. And God will deal with His people where they need to be dealt with. So next time you say, God with us, hope you remember that half the story is judgment as well as redemption. Because in the context of Isaiah, God is with us. It also means deliverance, but it also means some judgment as well. Because God is with us, 
Assyria will certainly overthrow northern Israel and Syria. But because God is with us as well, Ahaz, do you understand that Assyria will also overthrow Judah? Because God is with us and faithful, God will cleanse his people. You may deny him, but he's not going to deny his covenant. Well, how's Ahaz going to respond to that one? Enter child number three. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Shall I get you to say that one? Meher or Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Isaiah has no interest in trusting God. He's in a panic. So God says to Isaiah, I want you to have another son. And his wife bears him another son. And it says, you've got to give him this name. Now the interesting thing is when the son was born, they have to record it in an official document. And the priest that served King Ahaz is the guy who looks after these official documents. And so here comes in Isaiah to register the, the name of this child. And this priest, you know, second man to King Ahaz has got to record it. What are you going to call him? Meher Shalal Hashbaz. I don't think the priest wanted to hear that name. Because what that name means is there is a speed to the plunder. There is a hurrying to the spoil. What does that mean? This is a prophetic word that Assyria will quickly attack and plunder northern Israel and Assyria. And this child's name means this, that Judah's enemies will be overthrown and in spite of your behavior, God can be trusted. I can just imagine the conversation that the priest goes and, well, did you see that bothersome Isaiah again? Yeah. What's, registered the name of his boy. Yeah. What do you call him? <laughs> Don't think he wanted to hear the news. Because it means this. God can be trusted. Because he said he preserved a remnant. And therefore, even if he uses Assyria to do it, God will deliver you from the panic and the threat of northern Israel and of Syria. But Ahaz was an unfaithful king who was short-sighted. And he is going to plunge the nation into more desperate places if only he would learn to trust God. Enter child Number four, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and following. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is coming, Isaiah says, the ideal king. And though he's a child, he will bring an end to all wars. Come on, say hallelujah or something. He will bring an end to all wars. When Ahaz was looking at northern Israel and Syria and Assyria and Egypt and all the world global conflict that was going on, in the midst of this, if we would learn to trust God, God is going to give a child and he will put an end to all wars. 
I don't know what you think when you look upon the news, but I'll tell you this, this is good news. There's somebody who's going to put an end to all wars. He will establish, according to Isaiah, this eternal kingdom that is based upon justice and is based upon righteousness, but is bound up not in a mighty military general. He's not going to use the ways of the world to accomplish this. He doesn't come as the president. He doesn't come as the general. He comes again as a child. And why does he come as a child? To teach us the lesson not to depend on the mighty things that we see with our eyes, what we think is mighty, but our weakness is God's strength. And that's why he comes as a child. It's the last of the four children. And through these children, Isaiah is giving a message that the Lord is the master over history. In the description of this child in chapter 9, we don't have some future event or situation expressly talked about just in general terms. And we don't either have an expression of the relationship between God and this people But this time, the name that is given to this child is lengthy. And the name given to this child is going to tell about his remarkable nature. And the saving nature of his authority. He's going to be the ultimate expression of all the other three children wrapped up together. He's the ultimate expression of all what they they mean. God with us. But it's not going to be for our destruction, but it's going to be for our redemption. Folks, God remains committed to His covenant. I'll say that again. God remains committed to His covenant. God remains committed to His covenant. So how is he going to end all wars? How is he going to do it? How does he set the captives free? Why does God present them as a child? Well, this child is the answer to all of Ahaz's problems. But throughout history, this child is the answer to the whole world's problems. This Child, What child is this, the song goes. This child is going to sum up the whole of how God deals with world history. Two reasons why a child, I think. Number one, the expected king will be both divine and human. God was going to take on flesh. Now folks, that's good. That's good news. If God takes on flesh and lives life as you and I have to live it, that means there's nothing we can go through that He doesn't sympathize with by personal experience. According to Hebrews, that makes Him a merciful and sympathetic and a faithful high priest. He came to identify with us. In order to deliver man, he becomes a man. Another reason 
Because he's God, he is more than sufficient to deliver from arrogance, from war, from oppression, from coercion. He is certainly more powerful than all his enemies combined. And if he wanted to, he could destroy them instantly in a second. But when he talks about deliverance, he's not going to use that kind of power to deliver. He shows us an unborn child, a baby. Here is the wisdom of God. God doesn't solve problems like the world solves problems. He has his own ways of doing it. His wisdom is foolishness to the world. He is going to overcome all the enemies by becoming weak, like a child. By becoming vulnerable, by becoming transparent, by becoming humble. This is the only hope of turning enmity into friendship. God be solved God's way. So what's the name of this royal child? What's the name of this God who becomes man? All these themes that are wrapped up in this rather long name, all these themes are expounded upon throughout the whole book of Isaiah, but they're all brought to summarize in this one little child. This first name is Wonderful Counselor. How many of you think that's better than Meher Shalal Hashbaz? Wonderful Counselor. All through Isaiah, the folly of human wisdom is constantly being mocked. Human wisdom obviously lacks any kind of spiritual insight. But this child will give wondrous wisdom, deep wisdom, unfailing in its depth. True wisdom, when you see things from God's perspective, you don't fear the nations of the world. You see God in control of every situation, and He knows exactly what He is doing in every situation. True wisdom knows that weakness is really strength. Surrender is really victory. And dying to yourself is truly living. All that is there in Isaiah. And all that is in this wonderful counselor. His counselor goes way beyond anything that is human because he speaks according to an eternal point of view from God's perspective. And God's ways are not our ways. Not at all. He doesn't defeat the world using the world's wisdom. Not at all. No plots against his wisdom can contend. Didn't the teaching of Jesus simply astonish the multitudes who heard it? Nobody ever sought his counsel in vain, and nobody ever repented because they followed his counsel. He's the mighty. He's the wonderful counselor. But that's not the end of his name. He's mighty God. This king will have God's true might about him. This God is so mighty, this king is so mighty, that he can absorb all the evil which the world can hurl at it until the world has got no more evil to hurl at him. And he can absorb it all and be unflinched by it. That's the message of Isaiah. This king is not just mighty, he's almighty warrior. He is absolutely invincible in battle. He is divine in the absolute sense. There simply is no contest. 
there is no war in the sense because there is no contest. He can absorb everything the world throws at him and be unflinched by it. He's the mighty king. He's also referred to as the everlasting father. Interesting name that the son would be called the everlasting father. The term father is a, as a phrase that kings used to often describe themselves. I am a father to my people. I'm a father to the empire. But in the world, their fatherhood was temporal and certainly self-tainted. But when a ruler called himself the father of the nation, that was his way of saying, I am your protector, I'm your creator, I am your preserver. But listen carefully. This son's fatherhood, the protector, the creator, the preserver, has no end to it. Now that's good news. He's not just your father. He is your everlasting father. Have you got that into your heart? He is your everlasting father. His care for you will never end and it will never change. Say it again. Never end caring for you and that will never change. He is your everlasting preserver, protector, and keeper. That's who came. He never imposes himself, but he sacrifices himself for his children. Now he's the Prince of Peace. This is the climatic title. This is the build-up to get to this point. The Prince of Peace. What sort of king is he? He is a peaceful king. He comes in peace. He establishes peace, but doesn't do it by a brutal squashing of all defiance. But he does it by weakness, by transparent vulnerability, which makes defiance pointless. Through him, reconciliation between God and man will take place, and because of that reconciliation between man and man will take place. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. That's the truth that was celebrated by the angels. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Listen carefully. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven. This prince of peace is the final king. He's the king to end all kings. He's the Lord that ends all lords. Now, God works in history to keep His promise, and He keeps His integrity at the same time. There is one who is establishing the throne of David in the final way. It's based upon justice, based upon righteousness, not violence, not coercion. God is with us. Listen carefully. Jesus, this Christ child, He's wonderful. He is your only safe counselor. Because he's the mighty king, he has the power to accomplish all of his plans. Because he's the everlasting father, he is filled with love to exert his power on our behalf. Why? To bring us into the fullness of peace. What a message to deliver to Ahaz in the midst of turmoil world. And what a message for you and I to hear. Let me just finish with this thought. According to Isaiah, chapter 9, he says, 
is the zeal of the Lord that will perform this. Of his government there will be no end. It's the zeal of the Lord. What does it mean that God has got zeal? It's the zeal of the Lord. All these things are not going to happen by any ordinary course of affairs. These truths are made known to us because God is passionately in love with you. I'll try that one again. God is passionately in love with you. I'll say it again. God is passionately in love with you. He is zealous to perform these things on your behalf. The zeal of the Lord performs these things. He's passionate. He has a consuming desire for our best interest, and He is unwilling that anything hurt or destroy. God loves His people intensely. He doesn't have a blasé, disinterested attitude towards us. When we are going through trials, God does not have a casual response to us. Even if those trials are the fruit of our own doing, He will not rest until He brings us into the fullness of His peace. Amen. Amen. He restores people to Himself. So let's bring all this down now. Are we in times of trial? What do these four children tell us? They tell us God's in covenant, and He will not deny His covenant with us. They tell us he's passionate about us. He's Emmanuel, he's with us. Tells us he will bring us through to our ultimate good. It tells that he wants us to learn to trust him in the challenges of life. Remember, all of these lessons come in the form of four children. Not symbols of power, but symbols of weakness. Which means if we would just as a child... Learn to trust our Heavenly Father. As a child, just learn to put our hope in Him. All will be well. Remember, He came Himself as a child. He didn't come as a military giant. He came as a child, the symbol of weakness. He took on human flesh. He became subject to death. How weak can God get? But in His weakness... In his death on the cross, folks, you and I are saved. I'm not saved because God showed himself strong. I'm saved because he showed himself weak. And if that's God's wisdom, then let me embrace weakness. And let me go, let go of my own strategies. Let me go of my own securities. Let me go of my own trying to secure things like that. Just God is in absolute control. He knows what he's doing. And simply trust that God is with us. He's overturned the wisdom of this world. He's victor over the grave. He watches us over us for eternity, leads us to peace. This is the God that we're being asked to trust. This is the message of those four children taking Ahaz. Let's not be like Ahaz, but instead let's go the other direction. Let's trust Him.
Because if we can trust God and show to the world that we have a God who can be trusted, then according to Isaiah, we have something to declare to this world. Let us trust God and show to the world that God can be trusted. Then we have a message for the world. This is the God that we celebrate at this Christmas time, and this is the Jesus that we celebrate all year round. Amen.